John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 797.LV2512, certificate number 38099, Mobile Jubilees. Days on shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried, there's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup. Shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. That's that's about it. How many U.S. states have you visited, Ken? Uh, we've talked about this before. I feel like it might be around forty-one. Oh, so still some work to do. Where, where uh, have you not visited? They're all scattered. Yeah, I've been to South Dakota, but not North. I've been to Hawaii, but not Alaska. I've been to New Hampshire, but not Vermont. Yep. I, I think I have states that are just islands, like sure. Oklahoma or Nebraska. I don't know how this road trip is going to work. It's going to be the worst road trip ever, or the best. <laughs> we, it would be fun to figure out yeah. the most efficient way to hit all nine of my remaining states but I'm not sure if the actual trip would be fun or not. I bet that's a website. I bet you could go in and put the states you haven't been to, and I'm sure there's a website that does that. Did you see that people during the pandemic have been able to make record times on... The Cannonball Run. Yeah, is it? but is it also maybe some all 50 state run or some coast to coast run or something? Well, Cannonball Run is coast to coast. Is that the the route that people take when they... Yeah, I mean, it's from whatever. It's from a pier or it's from someplace in... New York to some pier in California. I've never tried the cannonball run, but yeah, there's, I mean, early in the pandemic, there wasn't any traffic anywhere. And, uh, you just throw some Red Bull and amphetamines into your system. And as long as you have a Lamborghini. Now it's just a good way to get to some States where you might really get COVID. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what it's for now. The traffic's terrible. And you've noticed that the traffic is back to being terrible. It did not take that long. What are those people doing? Where are they going? I don't know. They can't be going back to work. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just, that's probably my Seattle blinders that, you know, nobody I know voted for him. Everybody I know can still work from home, but I guess people who still have to go to their retail or, or whatever jobs. No one knows who they were or what they were doing. I mean, they might just be driving around out of boredom. I guess, but you know, the w- early days in the pandemic, it was like tumbleweeds. And now Friday afternoon, people jammed up trying to get to Tacoma. I don't know who they are. I wonder if you, you could probably predict um, some rise in test cases or hospitalizations or whatever, positive tests or hospitalizations. just Based on how long it takes you to get through the stoplight? Well, yeah, just look at traffic data and you'll be like, oh, hey, that oh, that's bad. 106 more people are going to die in two weeks. Right. Right. Well, I don't know. Every time I kept... Every time I kept sort of schadenfreuding the, uh, the pandemic rates, I never got, I never got the schadenfreude. I was very embarrassed about wanting it, but, uh, but yeah, it never seemed to, it never seemed to correlate to bad behavior. It seems like people behaved badly. People went to swimming pools in, in Florida a long time ago and, I think there was, I think you could see a big Sturgis bump. Yeah. Like I think yeah. that big North Dakota outbreak was. sturgis Was very sturgis but you know, I don't, I don't wish ill on anybody. No, me either. 
I don't know why, why would I even be looking, but I, I do remember being like, "Hey, I hope Washington is one of the good states on this list." Yeah, like, you want to be in the good state. Like, come on, come on. <laughs> in your trips around America, have you attended a lot of, um, you know, regional uh, festivals? Have you been to Mardi Gras? Have you gone to, uh, you know, uh, Toronto's famous? Um, Portuguese days. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to know what the actual Toronto thing was. I'm sure. Anytime the Maple Leafs play. No, I mean, have you have you made any attempt or or have you accidentally? I, w- I was going to say for a rendezvous in Anchorage, but you've never been to Alaska. Everywhere has a thing, right? The the, the Mike the Headless Chicken days in Grand Junction, Colorado. I feel like I wound up at one by accident, and I, I've never wanted that. What was it? What was it? Brooklyn, New York's Atsumato uh, with you. I wonder if it's going to come days. to me. It, it was something where I really should have known. And then, you know, I, and I just, I was annoyed by it. You know, like um, I could have read in the, the Lonely Planet book or whatever. It always has some, here's the seasonal festivals. Right. If you're there in August, don't miss the flower show or, right. or whatever. And I never... You know, you, you might as well rip those pages out because why are they even there? <laughs> well, you don't want to be in, you don't want to be visiting San Francisco during the, during the Castro, uh, the yearly Castro explosion, unless you do want to be there. Uh, you you, you want to plan for that. But it's going to catch you in traffic for I sure. I remember having dinner reservations the night of the Seafair Parade just here in town once and not realizing that I could not get down to the, I could not get across third. Yeah. Um, but I, kn- I know this has happened where I showed up in a city only to realize what I had done. And now I can't think what it was. Well, I, have you had this experience? A, a lot, just by virtue of, of traveling a lot. But, you know, I, I accidentally visited New York for the first time the night the Mets won the series in 1986. 86? And so... Well, you couldn't plan for that. Couldn't plan it, but had no awareness. I mean, every every television in New York and New Jersey was playing the World Series, and I was in the region... But it was like, I'm finally going to go to Manhattan. And we went across the, I was, I was staying in East Orange, went across the river and we're in Manhattan. And I was like, wow, let's go to Times Square. And, you know, you could see the lights of Times Square up, um, up the boulevard. Sure. Up Broadway. That's what we call Broadway, the boulevard. And, uh, and we, you know, walked into Times Square and it was fantastic. And that 86, that was when Times Square was really still very sketchy. Yeah. You know, a lot of pornos and and uh now pyros we, now we have elmos instead of pornos and yeah pyros. and so you know being there was just thrilling and and terrifying and then uh and then i started to hear a sound that i you know couldn't identify that seemed not to seemed to just be coming from everywhere and uh and you know Times square was mostly not full of people it was kind of a pretty abandoned area. I mean, there were people, you know, lurking in trench coats, but all of a sudden this sound that grew and grew in intensity. And I was like the end of the Grinch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It started in it slow and it started to grow. <laughs> uh, and then, and we I'm, didn't stop Buckner from flubbing. It came. No, it, 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 uh, it got louder and louder. And then I became aware, I'm standing right in the center of Times Square, became aware that coming up every single street and avenue uh, was a wall of people cheering. And as I stood there, these people from every direction collided. And all of a sudden I went from like being in the, you know, this wasteland to being in Times Square with 100,000 crazy Mets fans that were climbing the light poles. <laughs> it was a super, like the, the happiest riot I was ever. And, you know, cops on horseback and, and I, at first I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I wasn't aware that the world series, you know, I, I, I didn't know what was happening. Someone had to explain to you what sport that was. Yeah. It was just like, it was VE day or whatever, or VJ <laughs> day. And I had no awareness of the war. Did you kiss Mr. Met in a big swooping? <laughs> I didn't, I was terrified. I, cl- you know, I'm from Alaska, right? I had never seen that many people in one place. So I, I think I climbed up a pole and tried to avoid getting swept away. But yeah, I've, I've lucked out, I guess I would call it, to show up places just coincidentally. It happened to be there 
regional holiday. I do like little bits of, of uh, serendipity like that, but I think too often it actually gets in the way of whatever you were actually hoping to do sometimes yeah. when you're visiting a place and then it turns out it's going to take you two hours to get from the airport or, uh, you know, whatever's closed or. Yeah. I, I think there've been enough times in my life where I had nothing else to do that, you know, you show up in, in Germany, the, the night of their Christmas, the first night of their Christmas festival. And you're like, wow, this is better than whatever I had planned. Yeah. Um, you know, I was also in Berlin when the wall came down. Which oh, was right. another kind of crazy riot, but those are one-time events. You're not but, taking credit for either of these things, right? The, hmm. the Mets winning the series, or the or the Berlin Wall coming down. I was in Berkeley when the original Berkeley fire burned down all of Berkeley and Oakland. See, that's one you might want an alibi for. <laughs> and I do feel like I was partly responsible for that, just because of my, you know. Uh, incendiary personality. Is this why Reagan said, Mr. Roderick, tear down this wall? (laughs) That was, he was talking to you. I just put this together. He was. I was there standing in a youth hostel. Good job. And you, and then you immediately said, yes, sir, Mr. President. And you started chipping away at the wall. Some friend of mine got, uh, got ripped off of of 50 Deutschmarks in a shell game, uh, like in a, in a abandoned lot very close to the wall. And, and very shortly after the whole Eastern Bloc collapsed. So I, I feel like it was partly our our anger. Can you explain the mechanism that le- that connected his losing the shell game to just our to the our embarrassment? I and, see. Because the the person conducting the shell game was from Hungary, uh, which at the time was still behind the wall. So we just felt like wow. This, so the Soviets won the Cold War. They yeah, it was like a they pox took, they on took you. Fifty Deutschmarks off your friend, and it felt it all fell apart as a result of our of our pox. <laughs> Our evil eye. Uh, But some of the, um, you know, a festival like the Mardi Gras or, uh, you know, the Toronto Portuguese days. Garlic days in Gilroy, California. Yeah, those are, you know, those are scheduled events. They're predictable events. But um, like the ones that that I was talking about, there are a lot of... uh, a, a lot of like regional holidays that kind of are more natural phenomenon, like like the Mets winning the series or the swallows coming back to Capistrano. Right, right. Uh, the the butterflies, uh, the, the migrating monarchs. butterflies. Um, so you, and those you can't really pin down. Right, and in fact, you know, seeing the aurora borealis is. I mean, there's a whole tourist industry devoted to seeing the aurora borealis. It's smart because if you can get people to do something non-planable and non-reproducible like that, they might have to go like eight times, right? Or they might have to spend three weeks in northern Iceland, right? Once you're here, you know, you can't leave until it happens, but it may <laughs> never happen. <laughs> we got you. Uh, but one of the kind of uh, coolest regional ones of these is. Uh, is a phenomenon that happens in Mobile Bay in uh, southern uh, Southern Alabama. That is one of the states I have been to. Oh, and what took you to Alabama? Uh, wanting to cross it off my list, I was in Col- no. I was in Columbus, Georgia, and I left my hotel in sweltering humidity and heat. Walked across the bridge into Phoenix City, Alabama, which was actually not that much of an improvement over Columbus, Georgia. Right, you kind of went herp a derp. Walked into the park, said, "Here I am. Here I am in Alabama." You Griswolded. I did not have a banjo on my knee, <laughs> and then I turned around and walked back over the bridge, back into the safety of of, of uh, the relative safety and civilization of Columbus, Georgia. Yeah, sure. But uh, there are uh, wonderful places in Alabama. I've just never been to them. I because I my one visit was just stepping across the river. Alabama was always kind of a mystery to me and kind of a, um, it had a real appeal because being from the North and in particular the Northwest, um, I think we often feel like the South is a foreign country and Alabama may be the, as the deepest South, maybe the foreignest country, most foreign country. And so it took me a long time to get there. And I actually headed to Alabama more than once with the idea that, um, you know, this was it. I was headed down there and I was going to not cross it off my list exactly, but finally try and figure it out, right? Get get the American South, uh, understand it better, and thereby, I don't know, become a better citizen of the world. And I didn't visit it. 
first until I was um, in my 30s on tour with the Long Winters, and we did a we we had toured the United States many times without ever visiting Mississippi or Alabama or Louisiana. We played Atlanta every year, but three times a year. But we always approached it from Nashville and then went out of Alabama and headed to Durham, North Carolina. You know, there's a there's an indie rock it's a little archipelago there yeah, for you. Indie rock culture place. And um where, where would your Alabama and or Mississippi shows be in a universe where they were on the tour schedule? Well, Jackson and Birmingham. Is that you right? know, they'd be uh they'd be in the in the big towns. There were um there were certain bands that could play the colleges in those cities, right? I mean, there's Oxford, Mississippi, which is a a, a real haven for indie rock, but the long winters didn't quite I mean, I'm sure the drive-by truckers have played there one zillion times, but we didn't quite rate. You need more songs about Faulkner characters yeah. or whatever Jason Nilsbill's secret of of getting into Oxford, Mississippi is. There's a there is a uh, indie rock circuit that is or there was that was booked by college, um, you know, college radio. Come play the student center, uh, but those bands, you know, you want them to be able to put 1,200 people in the student center. Not what we would have, you know, not the 225 people that we would have brought. But we did end up kind of later on in our, uh, in our touring career play those states. And we played in Jackson. I think we played in Montgomery or Birmingham or both. You know, we went across them a couple of times. But the experience of being in those places, I did not get a full sense of Alabama in a in the way that you can drive across South Dakota and get the larger sense, uh, you drive 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 through the Black Hills and drive across it a few times on the interstate, and you know many of the mysteries of South Dakota are revealed to you. South Dakota, you're just you know one look at the landscape and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I think I got it. Wyoming, I mean, anytime you've you've driven from Washington to anywhere on an interstate, you go through Wyoming three or four different ways over the course of time from Montana to Colorado or from Utah to, to Nebraska. And it's the same experience. It's pretty great, but, but definitely like comprehensible. I mean, maybe not as, maybe if you're a deer hunter who goes up into the Tetons and, you know, and is there for a month, like you probably know it a little bit better. But you think All Alabama Alabama by comparison contains multitudes? Well, here's the thing about Alabama. It's there's a lot of forest. It's treed and it's also not, not full of altitude. So driving across Alabama, you look at a lot of pine trees. You look at a lot of kind of scrubby trees and you can't see through them. So you you can't see what's going on right. in Alabama. Up the road there's probably a lot going on. I get that sense in the Eastern United States in general, that often uh, whatever the the vegetation, the, the forests, the woodland surrounding the road actually provides more scale than whatever the rolling hills are doing. Right. And you really feel like you're in a green corridor, like that you're in a Black Mirror episode or something. Yeah, I, I, that's been my experience too. When you drive through Connecticut or upstate New York and you look at the map, there are towns all around you, but from the road, you just see kind of an unbroken line of tree uni- uniformity. Right. But uh, but I remained very curious about about Alabama, and I ended up, you know, seeing more of Mississippi just because of the touring routes. But a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, and the pandemic has made time <laughs> right. seem. Last year in 2019. Yeah, right. Last year in, in 2019, I had, I can't even remember a time when I would have felt like I have a couple of weeks off. I don't know what it would have been uh, when I ever had a couple of weeks off. But, but I'm also interested in how you how you got to, I'll just drive through Alabama. Well, I- You had just seen my cousin Vinny. <laughs> I, I don't remember that either, but I had a friend in Nashville who was getting her PhD at Vanderbilt, and maybe she had a couple of weeks off, 
it was winter. And I said, I know I'll fly down and we'll go to Alabama and we'll spend a week just going to places in Alabama and see what's happening. See what's going on at this time of year. And, um, and I did, I flew to Nashville. We rented a car and drove down to Alabama and I wanted, there were some sites I wanted to see muscle, muscle shoals, the you'd recording studio. You'd never been to muscle shoals. No. Which I didn't realize is in Northern Alabama. Yes. It being on a shoal, I always expected it to be close to the bay. No, it's, it's on the river up North. I also was confused by this. Also expected it to be on a bay. Also was surprised to find that it was on a river in the north, in the very, very north yeah. of Alabama. It was one of the, I mean, we left Nashville and we were in um, at Muscle Shoals pretty quickly. That must explain some of its, some of it, how it got its start, its proximity to Nashville. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a curious place. I mean, uh, the, there are two different studios that qualify as Muscle Shoals and visiting them both. It's one of those cities in the, in the United States where it's not really clear where the town is. You know, it's kind of a sprawling, <laughs> there's no center. I mean, there's a little center, but not, um, there's no like, um, back to the future kind of clock tower, uh, big park with a soda fountain. But in the process, you know, kind of, kind of toured around, went to Montgomery, went to Tuscaloosa, went to... Is there, there's civil rights history to do there, right? That we, when we, we, uh, we really kind of soaked that up. Um, I, don't know, know, I don't know how much it's... I, I assume it's supported now by these municipalities that are, you know, very proud of their connection to Selma and Birmingham, if not, if not for the reasons. Well, interesting. You know, Selma, we expected to be... Uh, to be thriving on this. Uh, and we went and walked across the bridge and, and investigated Selma, but no, it's a, Selma is still, um, a poor town, undeveloped, lot of boarded up storefronts. I mean, they're beautiful cities. Fantastic. I was standing on the corner in Selma and a woman drove up, opened her car door and said, Hey, welcome to Selma. You know, can I, answer any questions for you you get but you get lonely moms doing this to you all the time it was and she was extremely friendly and i you know i like leaned into her car and was like well i'm thank you for the welcome i'm really enjoying walking around selma and she was like well let me tell you you know you look over here did you look at this place well i sure will right now she was like well welcome you know uh if if it were a different day i'd i'd get out and show you around but unfortunately i have to she wants to bring you home for some ice cold cokes she was wonderful and um, you know, that was my kind of my experience everywhere we went. I was surprised that Selma hadn't become more of a destination that, that brought income to it. You know, there wasn't, there was a civil rights museum, but it was, it hadn't turned it into a place that you would go get destination, get ice cream. I mean, for a Northwesterner, you very much have the, um, the Southern chat to everyone on the street mentality, I do, which we do not have here in the chilly Northwest. No, it's, it, I'm a, I'm an outlier in that respect. So I love people your, coming up to me on the street people, yeah. and just like, well, heck yes, I'll sit and talk to you about whatever. Uh, and you know, you could see there were a lot of plantations. We, you know, we, and Montgomery and Birmingham are big, big cities and, and a lot going on. Uh, and, oh, and one of the things that made the trip so interesting, and I know that this is just one of these anecdote episodes where I'm basically talking about like. That's up to you. Thrift stores. Only, only you control that <laughs> dial right now, John. <laughs> But she had a very interesting app on her phone, which your, um, your friend, your your Vanderbilt grad, my friend. Vanderbilt friend, and her app is called Find a Grave. Oh yeah, and there are people I've used Find a Grave. Yeah, there are people who are doing genealogical work, who know that some relative is buried in some small cemetery somewhere, and they kind of put in requests. Can you go to this? rural cemetery and see if you can find the grave of my great, great grand grandmother. And if you can, will you take a picture of it and post it to find a grave? And so having find a grave, uh, 
kind of gave a little bit of structure to our meandering because you were you were looking for other people's uh, yeah. requests just yeah. to be of service. Just like oh, let's see what's up on find a grave. It's geocaching with dead bodies. That's exactly right. And a lot of these cemeteries are way way out. They, um, you know, the even the town that was associated with them is long gone. Right. They you tromp through the woods and you find this little graveyard with 50 graves in it. And we we did. We found several graves that that people had had uh, you know speculated about and took pictures and put them up. And it was uh, it was it really just gave just enough kind of framework to to the trip to make it feel like we had a. It is funny how we have, we have these achievement oriented brains where you actually need to make new fake tasks for yourself so you feel like you've accomplished something, whether that's you know geocaching or similar, or yeah. I've got to finish binging this show. There's only two more seasons, you know? <laughs> right, right. Get it done. Ah, the and feeling we, of accomplishment. We got it done. But in the course of fo- following our uh, Alabama whims and and various people dead for 150 years, we ended up in Mobile. And, you know, it was a town that I kind of held in uh, – in all the, you know, covered in moss, you know, legendary moss. Mobile seemed about as deep a south as you could go, in my imagination. Spanish moss and uh, Jean Lafitte. Right. Uh, if you think about Mobile, it was, you know, I mean, DeSoto yeah. landed there. It was part of Spanish America. It was part of French America. It's seen everything. Naval uh, battles. Right. Right, many of many sunken ships in the in the bay. It was a slave trading supermarket. It was a, uh, you know, it and it turned out. I mean, as much as I thought I knew about Mobile, I didn't know anything about Mobile. It was the first place that Mardi Gras was ever celebrated in the United States take, or in the Americas. Take that, New Orleans. Um, and it really looks like a mini New Orleans. It was the original capital of French Louisiana. Huh. Um, the French capital moved to New Orleans, Nolens, uh, sometime later, but but originally it was in Mobile. And you really see the influence. You see the the um, the wrought iron work. I mean, it feels like a petite New Orleans, and culturally really fascinating. I mean, there were. There were lots of cool kids in Mobile that I didn't expect. I didn't expect to see hipsters wandering well, all the, the fratty, All the frat kids go to New Orleans, and you get the art kids. The art kids go to Mobile. It's the, it's the emo New Orleans. That's what I call it. And in walking... E-mobile. There we go. <laughs> e-mobile. E-mobile. Walking around it, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating kind of place. There's a, you know, there's a Spanish fort there that... Um, I think I think has been rebuilt since since it was originally built, but it's a oh, it's cool, like the kind of thing you would see in a Caribbean capital, yep. or and it's very much like a like the kind of fort you would see in Puerto Rico, or or um, yeah, right. It feels feels like something that you might see in maybe Florida, but yeah, I just didn't have that that sense of it having that history. Is the Mobile Chamber of Commerce sponsoring this show? Welcome to Mobile. Do you get half off at the fort if you use? If you use um half off half off code you word know, omnibus. It's not that expensive to to visit the fort. Highly recommend it if you're in the neighborhood. Also, Mobile had a you know, Mobile's got a dark history or a or an unfortunate one given its prominence in the slave trade. Um it was it was the port of record for the monoculture of cotton. Um I didn't realize that that's where all the cotton goes out. Out and where a lot of the slaves came in. They the the port itself was not there, you know. It, it was mostly domestic slavery in the town, but it was where the plantation slave one of the one of the major ports of the slave trade. Uh, but also after Reconstruction, Mobile was one of the places that the city council kept enacting um, laws that disenfranchised the black population. You know, it was it wasn't a civil rights. Uh, leader, even well into say. the civil rights era, you're saying Jim Crow yeah. persisted there longer than. Yeah, it took it took longer to well, it took longer for Alabama to catch up um, all altogether. But um, 
Mobile, right? It, it took a while. But Mobile played a big role. I mean, the port there played a big role in World War II. It was, it's a shipbuilding center. Yeah. You know, Ken, as a guy, my identity is really wrapped up in my big head of cool-looking hair. What percentage of your identity would you say is wrapped up in that? I mean, I've got an awful lot of identity. You've got a lot of it wrapped up in your guitar collection? Mm, no, not so much. I think you could take that away and my identity would be intact. But You've got a lot of it wrapped up in your uh, family? Yeah, there's a certain amount of my identity that's wrapped up in my family. But more for hair than for family. Well, maybe hair and family are right at the same level. Those are also my two priorities. In hair my, and family. Hair and family. And then after that, church and country. Hair, family, church, and country. Mm, yeah, that seems like the right order. Nothing against uh, our balder brethren, many of whom look very good with that. Yes, but, virile. But many of us who have ca- who have hair currently would like to keep it. Well, that's the problem. I'm starting to feel my hair thin, and I'm not sure what is going on. It might be ultraviolet radiation, might be stress, it might be my family. Might be, uh, what, 5G? Might be 5G, that's might, right. Might be Bill Gates. Might be adrenochrome, but I don't know what to do about... This thinning hair. We are both slightly thinner hair years old. Yeah. And that's just, that's just normal. That's going to, that's going to be like half or more of people our age. In fact, two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. So even younger than us. Wow. Quite a bit younger. Uh, But, but is it like, uh, are we, am I, Am, do I have to become Stanley Tucci? Is that like... That's one option. Yeah. You can go to Italy. You can have a nice risotto. What else? For though? the first time in human history, there is actually there are actually good scientifically approved options for keeping the hair you have and maybe even getting some back. Oh. Um, so po- I don't just have to have, have like a little, little ponytail tied with a ribbon and, and like hair on the sides? You could do that. I'm yeah. not saying you can't. I'm just saying... If you would like to keep your current look, let's say I there do. are FDA approved treatments. The problem is um, there are treatments that require prescription. And mm. if you don't want to go to a doctor, I don't. Let me recommend Keeps. Keeps. We've talked about them before. Keeps. We have. They support our show. We love Keeps. K E E P S Keeps. Keeps.com. With Keeps, you visit a doctor online and get your hair loss medication delivered right to your home. So it's perfect for. The busy pandemic, don't want to see people lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Don't um, want to see people, but if they do see you, you want to have a big, healthy head of sure, hair. Sure. In the Zoom call, you yes. want to have a nice head of hair, but you don't want to have to like go to a doctor's office or a pharmacy. Or design one of those Zoom backgrounds that's just a he- healthy head of hair hovering over like a the background of a sea, ski, seascape or a skiscape. You may have tried some of these uh, approved hair loss drugs before, but never at this Price. It's uh, extremely, not just convenient, but extremely affordable and keeps us more five star reviews than any of its competitors, more than 100,000 happy clients. And I bet that because Keeps is so good to us here at Omnibus that they've provided some kind of discount code for our listeners, the future links. They don't do this. I bet there's lots of podcasts that don't have a Keeps code. Right. But you're listening to one that does. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, you are in luck. Go to K-E-E-P-S dot com slash omnibus and you'll receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash omnibus to get your first month free. Keeps.com slash omnibus. Fascinatingly, while there, I learned about a phenomenon called the Mobile Jubilee. It's a party like Mardi Gras. It's a big party, but it's a party uh, in response to a natural phenomenon. Um, During the course of this trip, you know, once we got to Mobile, we were like, well, here we are down here. What's there to do now? And and we were like, wait a minute, New Orleans is just over there. (laughs) And we get, and we get to go through Biloxi or Biloxi. I'm sorry. Is that right? Biloxi? Biloxi, I think is how they say it. And, um, and just do this tour of the Gulf Coast. And so we did. We went back. And then on our way back, we took the ferry across Mobile Bay because we wanted to go to Pensacola and figure, like, 
why not see it all? From from <laughs> Bluxy to Pensacola, see it all. Oh, there's, so there's a ferry that goes across the. You can get, can you get all the way to Pensacola on the ferry? No, but the the ferry goes across. Um, it goes from Dauphin Island, right, like the mouth over of, to the like, mouth of the bay there. Yeah, Fort. Uh, it's Morgan. Fort Morgan, right. And Morgan's my middle name. I should remember that. But in the course of the, and that's a wonderful ferry ride. Very, I mean, it's quite a, quite a wide bay. And Mobile Bay, one of the things kind of that characterizes it is it's fed by, by a host of rivers, most prominently Mobile River and Tensaw River. But then there are all these other rivers. And I think you're going to love the way that these rivers were named. Okay. Um, there's Dog River. Okay. There's Deer River. Okay. Uh, there's Fowl River, but not spelt. Oh no, but spelt like. Well, wait a minute. Is it Fowl? It is. W, w would be for yeah. the birds. Fowl River, and then also Fish River. So dog, deer, fowl, and fish. Well, deer, fowl, and fish are all hunting related, but um, the dog presumably is not like the others. One of these things is not. You like can only the other. choose one. The dog would be with you on the hunt for the fish, fowl, or uh, deer, but. Well, maybe that's maybe that's how they got their name. Uh, you know, like they're out for the hunt. Let's name this river after the dog. I like that they're short, huh? Do- and I, I think they go so well together: dog, deer, fowl, and fish. Sure, neither fish. Nor- the dog and the deer rivers are neither fish nor fowl. There, you, there you have it. Um, but kind of a phenomenon of of Mobile Bay is it's very uh, it's very shallow and very broad, like me, shallow and broad, and. There's a lot of fresh water coming in and a lot of brackish salt water uh, there also. Does it, is it kind of an estuary with the tides? It, it, it varies from salty to fresh? It is. Uh, and the, and the, the salt water is particularly dense. And the bay has a lot of organic material decaying on the bottom. Um, and so the salt water typically, you know, the, the way the salt water and the fresh water interact there's kind of a hypoxic, um, you know, organic, salty, decaying section at the bottom, and then a lot of sort of oxygenated fresh water floating on the top. And when the tide comes in, and when the when the river water, you know, there are certain times when the the salt water kind of floods over the top of the fresh water right. and then changes the layers or the order. Yeah. Mixes it. And it's a very stratified in most cases, very stratified water column, uh, stratified by oxygenation and salinity. And, uh, and those tend to be fairly stable structures, but during certain times of the year, uh, large, largely, and I think exclusively maybe in late summer, um, and so by when I say, uh, when I say different times of the year, I mean really the same time of year, but not predictably, not predictably, not like, it's not like it's August 8th every year. No, a certain, a certain set, a fairly complicated set of conditions have to apply. Um, it's usually a warm summer night, a calm sea, an easterly wind, often following a rain. A lot of stuff has to go right. Just before dawn. Okay. Always, you know, always darkest before the dawn. Conditions become just right that 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 some of this sea breeze along with a with a incoming tide creates a uh, a situation where the hypoxic lower layer rises up, is brought up in the basin. And suddenly all of the sea life that normally kind of lives around the edges of the, you know, of the trench down low, down low, suddenly finds that there's not enough oxygen in the water and it pushes them to the shore. And this is, you know, this is an extremely fertile bay. Um, but as the sea life is kind of pushed to the shore, the bay is very shallow and the the lack of oxygenation in the water continues to push the sea creatures and usually only to the eastern side of the bay because of the phenomenon of this east east wind 
being the source of, of the phenomenon mm-hmm. or one of 10 reasons that it happens. Uh, it pushes the sea life all the way into the very shallowest water right at the edge of the, of the beach. And in, in a lot of cases pushes them onto the beach by them. Like there's fish just flopping on the beach. There are millions of, uh, blue crab and shrimp, big fat shrimps. Just looks like a big jambalaya, but also flounder (laughs) and catfish and stingrays, eels, croaker, like big, big fish. And all this, you know, all these crustaceans all pushed into the shallows and then up on the beach. So to watch a video of it, there are these huge fish just flopping out of, you know, inch deep water onto the beach. And and it looks like a mass die off. You know, it looks like all these animals are. Well, I think it is if. uh, (laughs) And it is. If there's fishermen up there. Um. But what has happened is that within the culture of Alabama and Mobile Bay, this is like a super big party. Good eating. Uh, it's good eating, and you know this is this ha- this area hasn't always been the most affluent. And I think among uh, among recently freed African Americans, this was a source of a lot of like very great food that they wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Um, and it has, you know, since the civil war been noted, although it had to have happened back to ancient times, right? This was a, I mean, mobile is named after, uh, the original, like native American inhabitants of the region. It's kind of a transliteration of, of, um, of a word that was, Batmobile. This was part of, it was part of larger Mississippi culture there. Um, In fact, Chief Tuscaloosa was one of the, you know, was kind of the reigning chief when DeSoto arrived. But this had to have been a phenomenon that also, you know, fed the Native American population, although it didn't translate into recorded history. There's no record of it prior to the civil war. No, it doesn't make a, it doesn't make much of an impact, but when it does first, or I'm sorry, it didn't make, it didn't make it into sort of colonial era, um, descriptions of the region. Yeah. Which is probably more sparsely populated and not getting word back to the cities anyway. Yeah. What's crazy is you look at the pop, I mean, mobile has been here since, uh, since Spanish times, right? 16th century. But, when you look at the population figures of Mobile over the course of hundreds of years, even when the fort was there, it was like population 300, population 500. You know, 100 years later, it's like population 550. Everybody else gets bigger. We stay the same age. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't grow until, you know, till after, I mean, really even during the Civil War, it was, it was still what we would think of as a small place. And even now, Mobile itself is only 200,000 people. It's like the 12th largest port in the United States. I think the whole region has a million people, but um, it doesn't read as a big city. But even in the earliest records of the Mobile Jubilee, uh, the writer the writer said, well, this is, you know, all the old timers talk about the Jubilee and here it is again. How so? Does this happen reliably every year, or do you just hope for a good year with a good jubilee? Or weirdly, it happens every year. Oh, okay. And uh, but completely unpredictable. But it happens every year enough that the residents of the eastern side of Mobile Bay uh, have like elaborate signals. You know, everybody uh, when it's starting when it starts to happen. Like people are aware of what the environmental conditions are. So when everything is just right, and there's a lot of folklore about it too, like that it has to be a full moon, although it doesn't seem to. Um, but all the people that are that live around Fairhope and Daphne, um, when because sometimes it it's huge, right? Sometimes it's the whole coast. Sometimes it's really localized. Uh, but but it, there's a sort of alert system in place um, because. 
everybody comes down. You know, it's a it's a big celebration, and it's in the hours right before dawn. But it usually then the festival extends all day because you're everybody's Cooking. Can, yeah got to clean this stuff and make these low country boils and gumbos. So do you need like a fishing license or something, or nope. are people just out there on the beach grabbing all the seafood they can hold in their arms? Not only that, but they come down. You know, the legends are, I mean, not the legends. You can watch videos of this on YouTube because everybody wants to take a take a video of it now. But people filling up bathtubs with giant flounder and uh, you can spear the fish. You can kind of just pick them up off the beach. Another thing about the lack of oxygen is that it makes all the critters really sluggish. So they act kind of weird. You know, they're like, hmm? And you can just reach down and... Fill up the back of your pickup. I assume the origin of calling it a jubilee is because there was some sense that it was some kind of miraculous God-given gift, you know, that right. it, suddenly there's an abundance of great food and they're acting weird like they want us to uh, put them in the back of our trucks. Because jubilee is a, a biblical term for a like a periodic festival. And it, in the Bible, it's associated with um, actually a lot of forgiveness of dead and freeing of prisoners. You oh. know, every 50 years a jubilee year would be declared and it would, you know, turn a lot of the landowning uh, and money holding order upside down. Oh, really? It was a, it was a, like a, it was that disruptive. Yeah. I, I mean, within certain, I don't know what the certain Talmudic interpretations are within the bounds of it, but, you know, every seven years there'd be a sabbatical year in which there were certain kinds of debt forgiveness and so forth. And then every seven, seven year cycles, that was the 50th year and that was the big Jubilee. It was oh. a big. It was a big party year and a big second chance for for people. And um, you know, and that's why we still use the word jubilee to mean like a, an anniversary of a of a monarch or something. And I guess in this case, um, you know, the kind of the same kind of goodwill towards the underclass that would be biblically shown by a jubilee is shown here by the sea gods. Yeah, right. And and you know, this side, the eastern side of Mobile Bay. Um, you know what little I saw of it. It didn't. It's not the. It's not the rich part of town. Um, These aren't nice oceanfront homes. Uh, yeah, I, I think now probably you know anywhere you can get an oceanfront home. People have vacation homes there, but but even you know driving up by Fort Morgan, as I did, you know it does. It's not. It's not mansions by any means. Uh, the phenomenon wasn't really fully understood until the until the seventies. It, um, and I think you're probably right for many, many years. It just seemed like a God ordained, like, how would y'all like some crab? Uh, and you know, how hard is it to fill up a bucket with shrimp if you're out in a rowboat with a net versus, uh, being able to just stick your wash tub in there and pull up enough for a big, a big feast. Plus they're like the best foods. Yeah. It's not just that God is providing, but he's providing Crab and shrimp. Yeah. It's hard to beat that. Right. And in particular, you know, if 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 gumbo or boils are already part of your cuisine. And I think nowadays with freezers, I mean, since the icebox, you were also able to lay up some seafood for the for the year, for the for the coming winter. We're talking about how awesome and miraculous this is for the people who get to enjoy a crawdad boils or whatever, but it's not so great for the fish. Imagine Imagine how it is for all the sea life. Suddenly you can't breathe and you tried to head to where you can breathe and then you can't breathe there either. Right. And then somebody boils you. There's somebody there with a giant flashlight that's like stabs you with a spear. It's like an annual genocide for the, for the crustaceans. Yeah. And I, I feel like, uh, I don't know. Well, it's maybe it's a calling of the herd. Maybe it's uh, <laughs> the, the, good, <laughs> the smart ones. Yeah. The smart ones survive. The ones that can breathe low oxygen air or invent low a, oxygen water. Invent a small aqua lung right. or scurry to safety elsewhere. That's right. They know, they know like a riptide to move sideways across the beach and not to head. I mean, some of the, some of the crab are found like climbing phone poles and stuff. See, that's what you need. You need the the, the canny crustaceans that can outwit or maybe, uh, um, you know, a defeat in combat. The, sure. The, the locals with their little nets. Sure. Or the crab that, you know, that go up a tree and realize that that's a fine environment and become a whole new species of tree crab. I mean, that's where the, that's where the human race came from. Yeah, right. Tree crabs. We're all descended from from tree crabs. 
the the interesting thing about the this phenomenon i mean it happens in mobile at least once a year if not more it's the it's the rarest of rare years that it happens one of the things that why i was astonished by about mobile expecting mobile expecting it to be super muggy southern you know unbearable place is that it's very temperate climate you were there in the winter uh yeah but uh, well yeah autumn uh mm. early winter um but looking at the temperature and weather kind of uh details of it you know then the, the summer is it's on the coast yeah summer it's you know highs of 90 but the rest of the year it's it's very you know winters it's in the 60s the the thing i was the most surprised to learn is that mobile is the rainiest city in the United States. Really? Yes. 120 days a year, it rains a measurable amount. Um, they get 66 inches of rain a year, and summer is the rainy season. So, you know, these these hot, muggy days are, are uh, I think, probably relieved by torrential rains. Thunder, thunder showers? <laughs> is 120, is that more than us? Like, we... We, we're obviously not getting 66 inches, but... Yeah, the thing about the rainiest is Seattle, I think, really can hold claim to the most often rain. <laughs> most days, most bummer days. But it's but a lot of our rain is is just a kind of sogginess. We get less than Washington, D.C., famously, if you just measure total amount of water. Isn't that nuts? Total amount of water, yeah. yeah. And I think these these are probably big storms. But the only other place in all of God's green earth that... This happens is, and much more rarely. Oh, you'd think this would be common in any number of little estuaries like this. No? Absolutely. Because you would think, right? But the combination of the shallowness, the easterly wind, the salinity of the water, the full moon, the, um, it's gotta the be banjo a, sounds. There's got to be a meteor shower. Yep. Um, it only happens one other place, which is Tokyo Bay, but Tokyo Bay, it's a, it's a very rare occurrence. And you just get Godzilla's. Tokyo, Tokyo Bay has a very hypoxic bottom condition. I have a very hypoxic bottom condition. As well. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. So what do they get coming womp, to shore? Womp, womp. Well, you know, seafood plays a major role in I mean, Japanese. I, I can't think of two better cities, honestly, for seafood than, than yeah. like Tokyo or Alabama. That sounds fantastic. And I think Tokyo, well, I think actually probably uh, chemical pollutants and, and mercury in the water is probably a factor in both places. I was wondering. But in Tokyo Bay, uh, it's just exacerbated by the scale. Uh, and I think in Tokyo Bay, it's much more of a... Much more common that it's a that it's a mass die off of fish than it is like a let's run down and harvest this bounty. I think what what ends up happening is that you just all of a sudden um, the low oxygen just kills millions of things, and then they're all kind of floating in the bay. It's not it's not recorded as a as a fun thing. It's the difference between the tranquil eastern uh, awareness of the omnipresence of death, yes, versus the the vibrant Southern embrace of life, I guess. That's right. And they don't, you know, they don't have as much corn on the cob, so they can't really make a boil. That, 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 that's the whole problem. Right. You, you go to Japan and you're like, this is fantastic. I'd love it here. But where is the corn on the cob? And that concludes Mobile Jubilees, entry 797.LV2512, certificate number 38099 in the omnibus. Uh, Futurelings, in our day, we confess that we were uh, part of the social media problem at Omnibus Project. Uh, we were uh, responsible for a, a delightful group of people on Facebook. Who knows why they're on Facebook, but uh, but at least they found their tribe at the Futurelings Facebook page. It's a place, right. But also they're on Discord and on Reddit and other places where human beings try to make some kind of connection with one another. Look for Omnibus Futurelings wherever uh, um, hmm. odd human beings are found. Hmm. Hmm. Wherever you do your marketing. Mm -hmm. the uh, You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. 
you could send us physical items to a P.O. Box, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I'm belatedly looking at the outpouring of Christmas cards we got. They were all at the bottom of the mailbag. From various listeners. Um, here's one from, I can't read the name, but it's from Rwanda. Here's, no, really? Here's, you got a Christmas card from Rwanda? I don't believe it was mailed from Rwanda, but the uh, nativity art is oh, Rwandan. Oh, okay. Maybe purchased on a trip. Um... This is the Matthew Jen and family. Uh, Matthew's wearing his omnibus shirt, which a little note says he wears uh, incessantly four, from his wife four to six days a week. Please, please yeah, tell I, him. I don't to know take if that's a happy note or not. <laughs> um, here's Andrew and Ethan from. I can't tell where they are in this picture. The Grand Canyon, maybe. Uh, here's Pippi, Buster, Tess, and Bill. Those might be the cats, or they might be humans. Futurelings, surely. The Donahue family with their uh, with their Zoom themed 2021 Christmas yeah, card. A, they're, they're adorable. The Cortmans. Thank you for including us on your Christmas card list. Our friend Sparky, uh, on a old timey manual typewriter, says he got some kind of a CNC router. Yep. That must be some kind of wood carving. Thingy. Not necessarily. You can. You can route a lot of things with a CNC router. In this case, he made us coasters. Mine says 100% medium, and yours says two-time Nader voter. <laughs> oh, hand that over. It's really oh, great. I'm so excited. Oh, that is good. I wonder how many he made. You can't be, you can't be the only two-time Nader voter. Oh, this is great. This item has been approved by Tom. Pay no more than 45 pence. I don't. We didn't. We paid less than forty-five p. So that we are uh, good. is so good. I'm so thrilled. This is fun. Yelena sent us um, a sheaf of Yugoslavian money from before, from you know, right before Yugoslavia broke up. It looks like it's from the early '90s. Um, she wonders if perhaps flight attendant and fall survivor Vesna Vulovic might have used some of these. And it appears to be the full range of money, all the, from a five hundred dinar note. All the way through a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, it goes all the way up to a a note for a billion dinar. No, not possible. A which billion dinar? A one billion with a B, dinar with a D, which maybe indicates that things were not going great in Yugoslavia in 1993. Incredible! Look at that! Wow! Thank you, Yelena. A billion dinar. And you may remember. Um, Oh, I like these. I think Mary, if I'm reading this right, sent us these masks, which you may remember. She's improved her design, and so she wants you to have an oh, even newer version of this oh, very Aloha mask. I wear her Aloha mask all the time. And, and she's I, and I, she sent me a smaller blue one. I noticed that you... I have less face. Yours were also prominently in your house. Uh, I, I saw yours the other day, and I was like, oh, why did my... Aloha mask get here, and it was yours. They were in a stack of, my stack of masks. Oh, this does fit much better. How does that look? Oh, it's perfect. Looking good. Yeah. Yeah, I like the ones that have the little nose-shaping thing at the yeah, top. This is the kind of cool. thing we have aesthetic opinions on in, in 2021. Very, very cool. Thank you all. And thanks especially to those who support the show on Patreon. In fact, this episode about the Jubilees of Mobile Bay was suggested by a listener called Sarah who donated at the washing bear level, I think. Thank you, uh, listener called Sarah. I think it was a gift purchased for her by, let me say, oh, Jacob for his friend Sarah. And I think Sarah suggested the topic of uh, fish jubilees. Do you think that they are uh, uh, Alabamians? That's a good question. I would assume so. Or perhaps like you, just, just fans. Yeah, I mean... I mean, uh, I would, I remember leaving Mobile, and here, I don't need this mask on. Now you and I are in a bubble together. It's really muffling your uh, audio. Um, I, uh, I left Mobile thinking to myself, I would like to return to Mobile. You've got the Alabama shakes. I do. So, so you, you may see me there again. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization survived or whether or not you are crustaceans made furious by this episode. Yeah, this is like the worst episode for you. This is like for a the sentient crab. Holodomor. 
Uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.